In the last class, the portion which we are studying is in the third meeting, which Mahindranath had with Sri Ramakrishna, and where Sri Ramakrishna was speaking of the four types of people which we found in this world as per their spiritual inclinations are concerned. The Baddha, the Mumukshu, the Mukta, and the Nitya Mukta. And after classifying them into these four categories, Sri Ramakrishna was indicating the characteristics of the bound souls. So he is, he is describing it in such a vivid fashion that we will find to a great extent, as if we all of us, the majority of the humankind, as it falls in that category. It is not to discourage us, but to make us aware of the state of our existence, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking those words. The words, let us just repeat, with which we ended our last class. The bound souls are tied to the world by the fetters of woman and gold. They're bound hand and foot, thinking that woman and gold will make them happy and give them security. They do not realize that it will lead them to annihilation. When a man thus bound to the world is about to die, his wife asks, You are about to go, but what have you done for me? Again, such is his attachment to the things of the world, that when he sees the lamp burning brightly, he says, Dim the light, too much oil is being used, and he's on the deathbed. So here, the bound souls never think of God. If they get any leisure, they indulge in idle gossip and foolish talk, or they engage in fruitless work. If you ask one of them the reason, he answers, Oh, I cannot keep still, so I am making hedge. When time hangs heavy on their hands, they perhaps start playing cards. So as we were discussing from this, what Sri Ramakrishna says, there are as if some five traits which Sri Ramakrishna is pinpointing for those who are extremely bound to the sunset plane of existence. What are these? They're highly obsessed. The things which they think is going to make them happy, most of the time they don't realize, actually they're slave to them. They cannot in any way get rid of them. 
like bee we all came to enjoy the honey and at last we find our wings have got stuck in the honey those things starts affecting our life affecting our health affecting our mental well being but we cannot get rid of them it's just like any of the drug addiction the one who is addict he knows the addiction is the cause of his derangement of his degeneration of his disintegration but he or she though intellectually understands it but he is so much obsessed by it that cannot leave it the same happens same thing happens with all our so called worldly attachments we get highly obsessed by them they become the be all and end all of our existence and then we behave as if we are as if never going to die we are as if going to stay with all those things through eternity we become so short sighted obsession results in short sightedness we cannot have a broad vision we are extremely myopic the immediate pleasures of life is something which we are so lured by them that we forget that something much much higher is waiting for us if we can somehow delay those gratifications get rid of those gratifications we can have something much much better that we never realize this is we believe that they are the be all and end all of our existence and we become extremely self centered selfish just as the uh, sri ramakrishna is indicating the husband is dying it doesn't in any way bother the wife she is bothered about that what she has she has he has left for him so that's the thing which bothers her more but she speaks of extremely self centeredness selfishness where we in no way bother for others we become extremely egocentric and that is what which results in all sorts of so called sin uh, we say that the core of sin is i literally it is true s i n sin the core the word i is between s and n the core of sin is i and its implication is also true for all the so called sin papa it is the ego ego is the cause is the core of all the more we are self centered the more we are doing something which is in no way ethical all the ethics is actually de- defined with in this standpoint what is the standpoint of ethics in two lines in sanskrit it has been very nicely described paropakara punyaya papaya para pirana whenever you subjugate your eye to reach out paropakara upakara to help others that is punya papaya para pirana the things which hurts me the same thing if i do to others parapira just for my self interest i start hurting others that is papa as simple as that so that's the thing where as a third characteristic we find that we become extremely self centered they can never relate the fourth thing is they can never relate to the spiritual dimension of existence they're not aware of it 
not bothered about it. Though this life in no way gives them satisfaction, but they cling to it, thinking it to be the be all and end all of existence. They were never try. They never even give any importance. They never show any interest in their spiritual dimension of existence. And the last thing, they, they constantly need some distraction in some form or other. In here, Sri Ramakrishna is paying of, speaking of playing cards, making the hedge. Now it is also we find it has taken the form of the social media. So much time we are spending in this social media, this network, internet, TV. Why? What we see throughout the day, if, I, if we ask you, what have you seen? You cannot say. Because you were scrolling so much. Nothing was in your attention as such. It was not meant for education. It was just meant for time pass. As well, that's why we say the TV is an idiot box. It makes us an idiot. You will find that throughout the day we have passed our time by seeing so many things. But if you are asked that what actually you have seen, you can never describe. So many things. Yes, occasionally some one or two news or something maybe of may create a great impression. But most of the things we are just crawling through for passing our time, which in no way creates any impression. That's why even in schools, in colleges, they say that it is detrimental. Why it is detrimental? If if I am just scrolling through so many information, I'm supposed to be educated, but it never educates us that way. Because we will find that we are not focused. Just to pass our time, we are scrolling through so many things which in no way speaks of either concentration or to relate to some sublime things. It just becomes the passing of time. Just we go on scrolling. So that's how we pass our time. So that was what Sri Ramakrishna indicated. And these are the things with which we should relate our life to find out where we stand. It's not to discourage, just to find out, to be aware. In spiritual journey, the biggest thing is introspection. Constantly we have to introspect, be vigilant. Where are we? Otherwise, all these transgressions comes very slowly. Sometimes we are not aware. Sri Ramakrishna once visited the Fort William in Calcutta. The Fort William, uh, it used to be the uh, army cantonment of British. So now when Sri Ramakrishna visited for the first time from the main road, he walked down that the cantonment, the Fort William. When he reached Fort William, he looked behind and he saw that the road from which he has, he has started walking is quite high. The road was a gradual slope, which he never realized. After reaching, he found to what a great, uh, what's, what's it, this, uh, this slope that was, that he has actually came down quite a bit, quite a big height he has came down in the process of walking. And Sri Ramakrishna, the master of examples immediately said, in our spiritual life, if we are not aware, that's what happened. We think we are moving on, but actually we are gradually sliding down. And when we look back at retrospect after a long time, and then we realize that what has happened, what 
what a big fall I have had, which I was not at all aware of. It happened so gradually. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna, whenever he's speaking of all those things, it's not to discourage, just to make us aware where we stand. So now let us proceed to what he's saying next. So there was a deep silence in the room. The deep silence speaks of everyone's introspection. It makes everyone sincere, serious. That where do we really stand? That how vividly he's describing. So that speaks of the deep silence in the room. A devotee. And the next question, sir, is there no help then for such a worldly person? So he's as if asking, uh, representing us. He's for on our behalf of the entire humanity, that question. Sir, is there no help then for such a worldly person? Master, certainly there is. From time to time, he should live in the company of holy men. And from time to time, go into solitude to meditate on God. Furthermore, he should practice discrimination and pray to God. Give me faith and devotion. This is the thing which we were indicating. That once a person has faith, he has achieved everything. There is nothing greater than faith. It, as we mentioned, it enables us faith that nature has infinite potentiality. It is a faith which is required. What happens, all our preconceived notions are the blockages, which doesn't allow us to get empowered by all the potentialities which the nature already has. The nature has, it has just to open up for me. But we have created with the preconceived notions, those blockages. When we have faith in God, with the faith that conviction comes, with the blessing of God, I can do that. And that faith itself is sufficient to remove the blockages. And the nature inflows, as we were speaking of in the Yoga Sutra, Nimittam Aprayojakam Prakritinam, Varanab Hedatu, just the way the farmer removes the blockage which doesn't allow the river water to come to his field. There's a dam and that doesn't allow the water to come through uh, to the field. What the farmer has to do, he doesn't have to bring water with a lot of endeavor. He just have to make a small hole in the dam. And the water will just come and infill his field. The work is done. So like the river, the nature is having all sorts of infinite potentiality. The faith removes the blockage. And then the God's power finds expression through our life. We will find that in no time, a overhauling of your personality is happening. The stupendous change is happening. Stupendous a transformation is happening in your life if we have faith. So this is the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So if a man has faith in God, then even if he has committed the most heinous sins, such as killing a cow, a Brahmin or a woman, he will certainly be saved through his faith. Let him only say to God, so this is the catch point that he will be saved. But what is the catch point here? Oh Lord, will I will not repeat such an action. 
and he need not be afraid of anything. So if you have the real faith in the this redeeming power of the Lord, that he can save you in the saving power, the Lord as the Savior, if you have the belief in that, that he can redeem you, then the question of repeating the same thing never happens. If you're repeating the same thing, it speaks that the, there's no question, there is no faith. And that's the thing which we find is being asserted in the Bhagavad Gita. That apichet suduraachara, even if a person who is extremely evil-minded, bhajate maam ananya bhak, if he worships me, prays me with unswerving devotion, ananya bhak means unswerving, that I know that only Lord can save me, no one else. I hold on to him steadfastly. I never resort for help to any other worldly means. That yes, I am in such a situation, oh Lord, you alone can save me. I have that faith. That, faith. that in Bhagavad Gita we find what Krishna is saying, sadhu reva samantavya, samyak veva sito hisa. Know it for certain that he is a holy man. Whatever he has done. Once he have that resolution that, oh Lord, forgive me, I won't do it again. Save me. If he has real faith, the question of the repetition never comes. He has taken the correct resolution. So the proof of real faith is in the transformation. If it is this, if real transformation is not happening, we are, we can of course doubt the faith that it is just for some propaganda like something that you are making a show, sham show of your faith, but the real faith is not there. If the real faith is there, it should be proven in our life in transformation. If we are doing the same thing again and again, it speaks that of that our faith is just a sham show. It, we are not genuine. If those who are genuine, the history in the history of spirituality we will find immediately the redeeming power of the Lord walks. In the Christian history, we will find there are lots of saints who do had a past which was not very glorious. St. Francis of Assisi is one of the best examples. And see the huge transformation, the moment that faith dawns. In the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this you see the Jagai Madhai, the two Rafains, they were drunkards. They never uh, had any faith in God and they made it sure that if anyone repeats the name of God, they're going to harass them. And when they come in association with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they understand that they are, the, what they're doing is something extremely sinful and that, repent, that repentance comes and they take refuge in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We find immediately these two persons have changed. From a drunkard, they become an ardent devotee. Once they become such a devotee that they were respected for their devotion. Story of Girish Ghosh in the life of Ramakrishna. That he himself seeing there's so much change in his life, he was a poet. He used to say in his later life that I never had that belief. I never, I never even could imagine that 
there will be a, such a huge transformation. That Ramakrishna's redeeming power, such a conviction I have now by seeing my own life. So jokingly, he was a poet, jokingly he used to say that if I knew that there is someone to redeem me, I would have committed more sins previously because now I find the total life has transformed. So that's the way he's saying, means whatever sin you have committed, the, if you have faith in the Lord, he can transform your life in one go. As Sri Ramakrishna, to Girish only he told once, when Girish was in the process of transformation, uh, Sri Ramakrishna, he went to Sri Ramakrishna and was tormented by his own life. He told, is there not going to be any change in me? The words of Ramakrishna was very assertive. He told, you fool, do you think an ordinary snake has bitten you and water snake? You have been bitten by a cobra. Now you can run anywhere you want. You can go to the top of the mountain just to escape the repeated bite from the snake. He was let me run away. Let me go to the top of the mountain. Let me go to the deep in the river, in the ocean bed, wherever you may go. The poison has already entered. It is going to act on you. You are going to die. So that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna implanted in Girish's mind, Girish's mind. And Girish really found that that's the thing which happened through his life. There's, there was a huge transformation. So that speaks of faith. In the Buddha's life, the story of Angulimala. Angulimala used to cut the fingers of the passerby. We'll kill him, cut the fingers of the passerby. That's why his name was Anguli. Anguli means finger. Mala means garland. And with those fingers, he used to make a garland. Such a cruel fellow he was. And whenever he was in certain locality, suddenly the entire locality will become totally, there's all the people will be in their house. The roads will be all empty. No one will be out, always scared that Anguli Mala is somewhere in this premises, somewhere in this village. If he sees anyone, he's going to kill him. And Buddha went out for begging one day. And when Buddha knocked the door for begging, immediately the person told, sir, you most probably don't know that Angulimala is roaming around here in this village. Please don't go for begging anymore. You go back to your hermitage. Buddha told you need not worry. He continued with his same calm pace as he used to walk very calmly, he used to walk with full mindfulness. That was something to look uh, means just to observe. It was such a royal get. Very slowly, he will just be moving from door to door for begging. And suddenly he heard someone is just following him. Buddha never even turned back. Then he heard the voice. Stop. The story is wonderful. Buddha immediately replied, I have stopped long back. It is you who should stop. Now, Angulimala was really confused. Well, how come? It is you who are walking. Then Buddha turned around and told that many, many lives back, I have stopped nonviolence. I never, I have never created, has done himsa to any being. I have stopped long back. It is you who have to stop. And somehow that presence immediately 
change the Angulimala's mind. They come near. He comes near Buddha, takes refuge in him. Buddha accepts him as a monk. He starts living the life uh, of a uh, Buddhist monk in such an ideal way without any transgressions that he was he started to be revered among that monastic community. But one day when he went out for begging, the villagers recognized him. They just bait him, they were beating him, they were so mercilessly, but he never, he could have, he was a man of tremendous strength. He could have easily defended himself. He never defended. When he was totally bleeding, some other Buddhist monk came, they caught the news that he was beaten by the villagers, they came. His last desire was wonderful. There was no resentment. He told, somehow you take me, carry me before I pass away, before I die in the presence of Buddha. I just want to see Buddha and die. So such is the transformation. So this is a story we find in the spiritual history. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That, that I am not going to repeat such an action. If you have understood that what you have done was not ethical, was something, it was a heinous sin. We need not be afraid that you, have to, you should have the faith in the Lord. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, do you know who is an avatar? In his last days in Belumar to the novices he was addressing, he asked this question. So all the novices were just quiet. They never, could, they never knew what to answer. And then Swami Vivekananda himself answered. You know that the one who can change the writings in your forehead, there's a belief that our destiny is written in our forehead. And he told that avatara is a kapala mochana, the one who can erase what is written there and he can write a new script. And that's the thing we should have faith upon that the Lord has that redeeming power. If I have understood that I have done something wrong, let the dead bury the dead. Those can, cannot be changed. Let the past be past. I did not go on repenting on that. If you are in dark room, Sri Ramakrishna in some other place in the gospel have mentioned, if you are in a dark room, if you just go on crying, oh, it is dark, it is dark, it is not going to get lighted. You somehow have to strike the match. And immediately, the moment you strike the match, immediately the darkness vanish. That as that place was dark for probably from years together, it doesn't mean it will take another, uh, what you say, some 10 or 15 years to get lighted. The moment you strike the match, immediately it gets lighted. So our so-called, our uh, this existence may be full of darkness because of our past heinous sins, maybe, who knows, maybe of our past evil acts, but we need not just dwell on them by thinking, oh, what a sinner I am. Assert the fact that these are all just mere covering. The real me is always pure. That's the soul. All these good and bad acts are just the covering. I neither own, I neither own the good deeds, nor the bad deeds. They just are the covering. The good deeds are there to cleanse of the bad deeds. But at last, they also have to be thrown away. They also have no 
role in my life as per my eternity is concerned. Just as Buddha used to say very nicely, no one carries the raft on his shoulder after crossing the river. Its work has been done. You need not have to carry the raft on your shoulder after crossing the river. Its work was to help you cross the river. Its work is done. So the good acts are there to help us cross the shores of this sunset existence. And faith is the best uh, the, of among all the good acts. Just to have faith is the best of them. The moment you can have that, you acknowledge the existence of the Lord. You're convinced about his presence. You're convinced about his redeeming power and you take refuge. And there your work ends. As there's a Tagore song, very nice. Tomar holo shuru, amar holo shara. When you have faith, with the faith comes that resignation. For you, the work is over now. Now it is the headache of the Lord. Let him take care of what he's going to do with you. So with that type of faith, know it for certain that you need not be afraid of anything. The Lord do have that redeeming power. If he doesn't have that redeeming power, then what's the use of calling on the Lord? We call on him because we know he is there to save us. Sri Ramakrishna used to say that in, you know, what is the difference between ordinary human being and God? If you have committed 99 good acts and if just you have done one mistake, the human beings will remember you with that one mistake. They will never uh, uh, acknowledge that after all, you have all those good traits. That bad, one bad trait will be amplified. With that, you will be identified. And for the Lord, it is just the opposite. Most probably have 99 wrong acts. If what little goodness he finds in us, with that, he will hold us and uplift us. So that's the redeeming power of the Lord. Just the moment you have faith in him, all the goodness, even if it may be something which is very, very in the seed form, you know it for certain, the Lord as a gardener has the power to make them sprout and bloom in your life. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. When he had said this, the master sang, just to affirm, confirm to the fact there's a song. We need not go through the entire song, just a few lines. If only I can pass away repeating Durga's name, how can thou then, O blessed one, withhold from me deliverance? Wretched though I may be. So that's the same idea which is being indicated in the song. Now after that, again, master's attention goes to Narendra. Pointing to Narendra, the master said, you all see this boy, he behaves that way here. A naughty boy seems very gentle when with his father, but is quite another person when he plays in the chandi. Chandi is, you can just translate it, outdoors. In outdoors, there's some, uh, what do you say, that like something like a open pergola where the, all the children meet. This pergola is actually been built for some festivities only for in one season of the year. Rest of the time it is just lying vacant. And that's being used by the children for all sorts of fun and frolic and their games and play. So that is the chandi, the place. A, an open space, cover, open covered space, which has no wall, 
which is used for some celebrations only occasionally throughout the year. Rest of the time, the children uh, will be meeting there for also fun and frolics. So this is a Chandi. So when the children is in Chandi, he's totally different. You cannot recognize him when he's sitting by his father, very calm and quiet, well-behaved. So seeing the Noren, very docile, a young boy who has who is uh, going to college, he's a graduate student, looks just like any other young boy. So Ramakrishna is indicating, don't think him to be an ordinary. When the situation comes, he is going to be something different. Just see, these are the words which are spoken long back. What a tremendous scanning power this Raman had. He knew, he has just that what Naren is going to do. Narendra and people of this type belong to a class of the ever free. That previously he was speaking of the ever free. Now he's giving an example showing that he's an ever free. They're never entangled in the world. When they grow a little older, they feel the awakening of inner consciousness and go directly towards God. They come to the world only to teach others. They never care for anything of the world. They are never attached to woman and gold. So here we find the Nitya Siddha, which he was speaking a few minutes back. Ramakrishna is now giving an example. That's just showing that here is the Naren. He could as if scan the core of being and identify these young ones. <clears throat> it's a very interesting thing. Uh, it even it so happened that in presence of Ramakrishna, some other young person, young boy, will get tem temporary uh, some inspiration, but most probably the general trend is towards world. They're worldly minded, but being in presence of Ramakrishna, suddenly there will be some uh, show of devotion, some uh, effervescence of devotion flow. Or this this devotion starts flowing through the, just starts flowing through them. And Ramakrishna would easily understand. He will say a very interesting thing, that it is just like an elephant, which has, uh, which has got down a small shallow, uh, a, a pond, not even just a, a small shallow pond, it has entered, an elephant has entered and what happens? There's a huge splashing. The water splashes out. But Naren is not like small pond. He's like a huge reservoir. What to speak of one elephant? Even 10 elephant enters there. You see no visible change. So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That it's, he could as if scan the core of one's being. That Naren generally doesn't show any emotion. He seems to be very quiet. The others are having a lot of expression of devotion. He doesn't have, but he have understood that he actually holds tremendous power. That's why he's, being, he's indicating that he may appear to be very calm and gentle, but know it for certain. He has tremendous strength. Even Naren himself never realized. In front of others, one day Ramakrishna told that the Keshav Chandrasen, the very famous person in those days, the founder of Brahmo not founder, the big leader of Brahmo Samaj, the entire Brahmo Samaj, uh, the, the entire Brahmo movement got enlivened because of Keshav, though it was found by 
Devendranath Tagore. But the movement really got strength because of in the leadership of Keshav Chandrasen. He was a well-renowned figure. See, he and this Narain was just a college-going student, now and then visiting Ramakrishna. Seeing Narendranath in front of all devotees one day, he told that what all powers you see in Keshav, Narain has 18 such powers. You multiply it by 18, 1 into 18. If Keshav is 1 into 18, that much power Narain has. Narain felt highly embarrassed. When all devotees left, Narain almost reprimanded Ramakrishna that I understand you have little love for me. But is this the way you speak in front of others? What others will think? That you're comparing me like an, an insignificant person with Keshav. So Keshav was that famous. And Ramakrishna is simply answering, what can I do? That's what mother is showing me. Mother has shown me that you do. So that's the reply which Ramakrishna is giving. And we find that what Ramakrishna is speaking, that has in a very near future, it has proven to be true. That what a tremendous upheaval in the spiritual world he brought. The Hinduism, there was no representative of Hinduism in the Hindu parliament of religion. Now, we, we all know that, that Hinduism is a world religion. It will be no exaggeration to say that Swami Vivekananda introduced to the world for the first time Hinduism as the world religion. It was considered as a bundle of superstitions where the mother will, uh, will uh, sacrifice her child to the crocodile. The sati will be uh, burned in the fire. These are the things. Who, you are, who were preaching this? It is the Hindus. The so-called Hindus were going to the West to get their personal recognition, were just projecting this negative side of all the evil practices as the Hinduism, as the be-all and end-all of Hinduism. If you go, just look at the newspaper in those times, a lot of research has been done. There was Hinduism was not considered as a religion at all. And that's why the missionaries felt that we have to go and enlighten these people. There were so many uh, Indians who got this little English education, went and just projected all these negativities to the West. And that's what the impression the West had. When someone, when Swami Vivekananda had to face this problem, when he went to the West, so many questions were there that, is it that your, the mothers, your mothers throw the child to the uh, these crocodiles? And Swami Vivekananda sometimes had to deal those uh, questions very in a jovial way. He, he told, yeah, that's true. But you know, I was a bit plumpy child. The crocodile couldn't eat me. That's why I'm safe. That's why I'm here with you. So that's how the thing was. For the first time, they, there was no, rep in the world parliament of religion was going on. And there was no Hindu representative. It was God's providence, but somehow Swami Vivekananda somehow was there. He had no credentials. Chicago lecture, uh, the Chicago Parliament of Religion was near. And when it was required that you should have some credentials to be a representative of that Parliament of Religion, he had no credentials. But in his before the Parliament, he gave many parlor talks. In, in the houses of the so-called uh, the rich people and the learned people, the professors used to be there. It is one such professor, the professor Wright, who, who gave that certificate that to ask for credentials from Swami Vivekananda is 
as if asking the sun what right it has to give light. That was the credential with which he could at last attain the parliament of religion. Professor Wright was a reputed professor and re renowned professor. So seeing that letter from him, he was permitted. It was just God's providence. And there we find that Hinduism is being represented and series of lectures goes on for years together to establish Hinduism as a world religion. The yoga, the Vedanta, everything as the forerunner, the first person to preach in the West was Swami Vivekananda. Now after that hosts of preacher went, Swami Vivekananda foretold, many will be coming after me, many. And that's what is happening. We find that the, the appeal of the Hinduism was opened up to the world with Swami Vivekananda. And Ramakrishna is seeing it. Just see his words long, that's at least 10 years before that Narendra became the world preacher. All you, all, you all see this boy, he behaves that way here, very calm and quiet, docile, mild. A naughty boy seems very gentle when with his father, but he's quite another person when he plays in the Chandi, world's parliament of in Chandni, not Chandi, in, in Chandni. That's where there's a pergola where the children are all playing. So world's parliament of religion proof, proof, has, has, has proven to be that Chandni. For, for Vivekananda. He's a totally different person there. Narendra and people of this type, of his type, belong to the class of ever free. They are never entangled in the world. When they grow a little older, they feel the inner awakening of inner consciousness. Very interesting. When for the first time Ramakrishna touched Narendra, he was not ready. He was not ready for that. Immediately he shouted when he found the world is vanishing. He is feeling as if he is going to get become unconscious. It never happened to him previously. He immediately started shouting, what are you doing to me? I have my mother. I have my father. I have my this uh, siblings. And Ramakrishna with a smile told, oh, it's not the time. And he brought him back from that. Uh, what you say, the transformation which was going in Narendranath. It took few more days later, again, when he touched him, and then when he came, when uh, Ramakrishna related that to his devotees, when Narendra came back from the situation, he himself never knew that what has happened in that state. And Ramakrishna told, I have known through and through who he is, that he is a highly exalted soul, Narayana. Just out of compassion, unbounded compassion for the human being, for, the, for us, he has again incarnated. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna has indicated in the gospel. And he will know that little when he gets a little older. So that's the thing that awakening at the beginning we find he was not ready for that. But gradually that awakening happened in his life. It unfolded. It was there. Just the way for us, as a small child, when we are innocent, the worldly tendencies don't find expression. As we start growing up, they find expression. Just the opposite is true for this Nitya Siddha. As a child, they are like innocent, like any other child. But as they start growing up, instead of the worldly threats, we find the spiritual inner consciousness is getting awakened. Because that's his real nature. As he grows, those are the things which finds expression. 
They come to the world only to teach others. Very nicely, Shankaracharya indicates that what is the purpose for a realized soul to take birth? They have no desire. What brings them is only desire to help others. And that also they do it so unknowingly. See, in Viveka Churamani, Shankaracharya says, is describing such person. Shanto Mahanta Nivasanti Santo. So this calm, great person. How they stay? Vasantavat Lokahitam Charanta. So after the winter, when the spring comes, suddenly we find that the entire world has got enlivened. The trees are again getting green. The life as if gets enlivened. Everyone feels full of life. The spring brings back the life. Does the spring knows it? It's its nature. When it comes, the life gets enlivened. So these so-called realized soul, the nature is such. Like Vasanta, like the spring, what a nice example Shankaracharya is giving. They are here. Just by being here, by their presence, their nature is such. They redeem the world. So they feel as when the moment they come to the world only to teach others. They never care for anything of the world. They are never attached to woman and gold. So these are the Nitya Siddhas. They, they, the, the only thing, when you say Nitya Siddha, the question of birth doesn't come. If, if one is ever perfect, then what gravitates them to the sensitive plane of existence? It is only that unconditional love. As Sri Ramakrishna with another anecdote have mentioned in some other place, the three friends were passing down the street and they saw a very huge wall by the side of the street. And they were curious to know what's there on the other side of the wall. They managed to get a ladder. They placed the ladder on the wall. One of them got up. When he was on the top of the wall, he was ecstatic. The other two asked, what makes you so ecstatic? Please relate. But he couldn't even, he didn't even had the time to relate. He was so much ecstatic that he simply jumped to the other side, even without relating that what he has seen. Now the second one also got up. He also made the same fate. He was so joyous, he jumped on the other side. Some, something joyous was uh, uh, full of joy, mirth and merry was as if going on, on the other side, seeing which just they were ecstatic, gave a huge cry of joy and jumped on the other side. Now this last, the third friend alone was remaining. The third man was alone. So as he couldn't hear what, that what was going on on the other side at last, to know that he also climbed. And seeing what's going on on the other side, he also felt like jumping. But somehow he restrained. That if I jump, no one is there to relate to the world, the other side of the wall, what's going on there. So he restrained out of his love for the humankind, he comes down, avatarana. That's the only reason for coming down. Love for the humanity, to relate that what you are doing here, there's such a world of mirth and merriment on the other side. To make the people aware of that, they come down. They have no uh, such attachment for the so-called worldly sensed pleasures of life, which finds expression in the form of woman and gold. They're never attached. So that's what Narain is. And then Sri Ramakrishna 
gives a wonderful anecdote and allegory. The Vedas, a simile, the Vedas speak of a Homer bird. There's a particular bird. It's a mythological bird called Homer, H-O-M-A, Homer. So what's, that, uh, what's the nature of that bird? It lives high up in the sky and there it lays its egg. As soon as the egg is laid, it begins to fall. But it is so high up that it continues to fall for many days. As it falls, it hatches and the chick falls. As the chick falls, its eyes open. It grows wings. As soon as its eyes open, it realizes that it is falling and will be dashed to pieces on touching the ground. Then it at once shoots up toward the mother bird high in the sky. So that's the mythological bird. So there the Nitya Siddha, the Homer bird, to give an example of Nitya Siddha, he's speaking of this Homer bird, that they never fall in this earth. They fly high up in the sky. When falling, the egg hatches, it grows wings, its eyes open, and it realizes that it will fall and it will crash. It is going to die, and immediately it starts flying up. So to explain the nature of Naren, the inner, the core of their being, he is giving this example of Homer bird. So here one thing is very interesting. What? That even before falling, they fly up. In how we can relate it in our spiritual life, that purity is not innocence. Purity is vigilance. The experiences of life should teach us. Sri Ramakrishna in some other place will be relating one another, uh, you know, this anecdote. What he says that the camel thrives on thorny bushes. When it eats the thorny bushes, it bleeds. But that's what it's food. Again, though it bleeds, it will again go on thriving on those thorny bushes only. That's our condition. The world makes us bleed, but we don't learn. We go resort back again to that same type of life. When someone asked Swami Sharadananda, that what is the aim of life? They thought most probably like Ramakrishna, he will say, realizing God or something like that. But Sharad Maharaj never went that way. Because he knew very well the one who is asking question, he's not a believer. So he thought that why not give an answer which everyone can appreciate. So he told very simply, this answer was, then when he was asked that what is life? What is life? So he first, his answer was, it is a chain of experiences. What a wonderful answer. In one line, you can never get a better answer than that. The more we grow old and we look back at the retrospect to our life, that's what life is. Whether we will it not, we, we, whether we will or not, we are going through lots of experiences, good or bad. We plan our life, man proposes, but at last we find God disposes. How the life takes its course we have almost no hand over it. We are going through so many experiences. And now this man asked, what you said is uh, something really wonderful. I appreciate it. But what is the aim of life? Life, I understood, is a chain of experiences. 
And then again, in one sentence, a wonderful answer is giving to learn from those experiences. We never learn. We go on doing the same mistake. In our student life, I still remember there was an exhibit, we had an exhibition where we had a, a glass tea, transparent tea, uh, tea like tunnel, tunnel of the shape of tea. A tea has three legs. The English alphabet tea has three legs. In one of the legs, some food was kept, moist food. But it was very mildly uh, connected with, uh, with electric current, with a battery we connected. Some current is there and the one leg, there was nothing. On the third leg, a few of the earthworms were kept. The experiment was that how many times this earthworm will be coming to the junction of the other two legs and naturally it will be drawn towards food. It will go towards the food, getting the mild shock, it will come back. But to show that the earthworm has no memory that experiment was done, in one, throughout the day, as long as we observed more than 200 times from the morning till the evening, the earthworm went towards the moist food, came back. It shows that it has no memory. It's always going that way only. So as the food is there, it will never, as the other side, nothing is there, it is not going that way. It is going towards the food and coming back. And that shows they have no, so but in as a human being, do we have that memory? We will find our condition is almost as pitiable as that earthworm. We go on doing the same mistake, lives together. And that also through our uh, hereditary, uh, even we will find what the parents did. They insist we do the same mistake as children. That's what is going on. So what is purity? It is not innocent. It is learning through those experiences by being vigilant. I don't repeat them anymore. And they become that vigilant that if I find that danger is there lurking, just like that Homer bird, before falling, it will fly back. To explain that what real purity is. That we say child is pure. Child is not pure. He's innocent. We don't know what all is hidden in his mind. As he grows, we will therefore find for expression. What is purity? In the life of Ramakrishna, we will give an example from the life of Ramakrishna. You know, when Ramakrishna was in Dakshineshwar, he was still in the period of sadhana, the 12 years. He was going through intense sadhana, spiritual practices. Now on the four months of the rainy season, the Ganges water becomes very uh, turgid. And we find uh, in those days, you know, that the, that was the drinking water. They used to drink water from the river. And many will have all sorts of stomach disorders, cholera, dysentery because of the impure water. That's the time Sri Ramakrishna used to go back to Kamarpukur to spend those four months in Kamarpukur. And when he used to go back to Kamarpukur, Holy Mother was growing up. They don't know that she, when she was married, she was just four years. Now, when Ramakrishna uh, came to Kamarpukur from Dakshineshwar, she has grown a little. She was, she has, uh, she has, she was now a teenager. Now she used to come, her village was just four, four miles away from Kamarpukur. 
getting the news when she got the news that Ramakrishna is in Kamarpur, she is to come from Jairambati to stay for those few months along with Ramakrishna in Kamarpur. From Jairambati, she is to come. And that's the time we will find Ramakrishna is to instruct Holy Mother in the spiritual way of living. That's a wonderful relation. Now, and sometimes as their husband, wife, Ramakrishna, of course, used to sometimes have some fun, his joke with Holy Mother. But through all those jokes and funs, also some teachings used to be, uh, uh, teachings will find expression. So one day what happened is Ramakrishna was sitting in the courtyard and the Holy Mother was brooming. As a young girl, she was brooming the courtyard. And Ramakrishna suddenly started saying, let's see all married to have children. But what's the use of having children? The, when the first, first child is born, it is few months old. And now you have the first rice giving ceremony. You invite the entire village. And to celebrate that occasion, you are in your best clothing, best sari. You put on your ornaments to, uh, just to celebrate that occasion. And suddenly you find your child is sick. And then the doctor comes and he, he just diagnoses it as cholera. And in few days, the child dies. You remove all your ornaments, all your expensive clothing. You start mourning, you cry. And most probably another after another one year or two, another child is born. And this time he dies because of malaria. So that's what he was saying. And Holy Mother never used, to, have never shown her face to Ramakrishna. That's a wonderful thing. Can you just think? The bride has never shown his, her face to the husband. Always she used to have a long veil. So when she was dreaming from behind that veil, softly she told, will all of them die? That was her comment. Ramakrishna immediately jumped up from his seat. He was just joking, suddenly he became very serious. And he left that place just by commenting, oh, it seems I have stamped on a stamped on the tail of a poisonous, of a venomous snake. And he goes inside. And Holy Mother feels highly embarrassed. She also leaves the place. Now you see here what it speaks. It's like the Homer bird. Before falling, takes the flight towards Mother. What? The joking, all this fun was going on. But when, as a young girl, Sharda Devi told, will all of them die? Immediately, that Ramakrishna was so sensitive, immediately understood that she, though it is something very subtle, she do have the desire to be a biological mother. Otherwise, why she would say, will all of them die? Just that little, as he has already taken the vow of sannyasa, though he was married, that was if, uh, something like a sanskara. But he, it, it was almost decided that he's going to lead the life of a renunciate. Just finding that inkling of that little desire, he immediately jumps, goes away from that place, commenting, oh, it seems I have stamped on the tail of a venomous snake. So now you will understand the implication of this story, that they are that sensitive. Even finding a little inkling that it, is, it can be the cause of my downfall, immediately they just fly off. That's what speaks of the purity. It is vigilance. The prize of purity is vigilance. You don't allow even that little 
uh, weakness to uh, to find expression through your mind through your thoughts immediately you are aware you are that's what in the scripture very nicely it has been spoken of that for a spiritually evolved soul the sensitivity is like the sensitivity of the eyeball if a sand particle falls on your skin you even don't realize there is a sand particle on your skin on your skin the same sand particle if it falls in your eyeball immediately you find your eye is irritated it's you find a lot of irritation so for a spiritual person that even a small indication of attachment is just like that small sand particle on the eyeball they are that sensitive immediately they find they have taken a retreat from there in no way they will dwell in those so called innocent pleasures of life maybe it's okay for you and me but not for the homo bird they immediately take so this story small story just see that's why we told when we read the gospel the words are simple but at the same time they are very profound sometimes we miss the point just when relating to the story we think oh it's a story only of narendranath no it actually speaks for all of us that in spiritual life if you have to pay the price for it it is the price is vigilance we have to be that vigilant if we really want to progress in spiritual life the way they speak of the homo bird it lives high up in the sky and there it lays its egg as soon as the egg is laid it begins to fall but it is so high up that it continues to fall for many days as it falls it hatches and the chick falls as the chick falls its eyes open it grows wings as soon as its eye open it realizes that it is falling and will be dashed to pieces on touching the earth then it at once shoots up towards the mother bird high in the sky so that's what sri ramakrishna says we will continue with our discussion again in the next class sri ramakrishna's discussion goes on we will continue with it again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars